So if you're going to put something on social media, use the hashtag Summertime Blues. And uh, if you'd like these notes, or if you want to communicate with us in any way here at the bridge, here's a good way to do it. It's one of many ways. Use this email address, info at bridgechurch.cc. So when we ask the question, how do I win the battle with discouragement, there are many, many places in the Bible you could go. But what we've done is we've selected in our prayer time and uh, trying to get the heart of God and how God would like for us to talk about discouragement, we feel led to speak from Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a great Old Testament book of the Bible. I've told you already, I'll repeat myself, it would be a great movie. You know, there's some pretty good Bible movies out there. And can I say there's some pretty lousy Bible movies out there? But there are a few good ones. I'd love to see somebody who believes the Bible to do a movie about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a layman. He was not a priest, he was not a prophet, he was not a reverend, he was not ordained, he was a person in the church. Now the Old Testament economy and the New Testament economy are certainly uh, different, but in the church, in the sense of the Old Testament church, he was just a part of the believers, a part of God's church. And uh, God gave him a very specific task and a very huge task. The enemy had gone into Jerusalem and torn down the walls of the city. And the Bible says in the first couple of chapters of Nehemiah that that um, destruction, the way that looked, the way that appeared, the message that that sent was that God was weak. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah used these words. He said, the way the walls of Jerusalem looked after their destruction brought a reproach against the name of God. It spoke it spoke ill about God. It spoke negatively about God. And so God said, Nehemiah, I want you to take the children of God. I want you to take the Jews. I want you to go back. I want you to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. How many of you know that when you set your mind to do something good, when you set your mind to make a difference in this life, and you decide that your life isn't just going to be an ordinary life, but through the power of God, your life is going to be an extraordinary life, how many of you know the enemy hates that? And he's going to do immediately everything he can to thwart your plan. And that is exactly what happened here. The enemy tried to use the device, the trick, the strategy of discouragement to stop God's people from doing what he had called them to do. Nehemiah took action when he saw the discouragement of the people. He took action that motivated them. He took action that led them to victory, led them out of the valley of defeat and on to the mountaintop of victory through Nehemiah's example as you study that whole book and I hope you will it's a great book to study uh, through that example we learn how to prevent discouragement not just what to do when we get discouraged but how to prevent discouragement from coming into our lives and of course as I've already said what actions we need to take when we sense discouragement I told you last week that uh, the message last week was actually the most important message and uh, you might have thought, well, should I even come back next week? And I'm looking out here, and you did. Thank you so much for coming back. But the reason last week's message was so important is because we talk, started talking about the steps you need to take to overcome discouragement. And, and you might be here today, and you're battling discouragement. Something bad has happened in your finances. Something bad has happened in your family. 
something negative has happened in your community, something, uh, someone said something to hurt you or demean you or uh, belittle you, you've suffered some injustice, uh, maybe it's something to do with your marriage or your children or somebody you care very deeply about and you're here today and you're a little discouraged. Maybe a dream just doesn't seem to be coming true. A vision you thought God put in you is just not happening. Some things that you thought were his will, you had prayed about them, you had sought God's will, you had even fasted, and, and you had really talked to people who were wise, and you felt like this was going to work out, but it doesn't look like it's working out. And, and you might be sitting here today, and you're just a little bit discouraged. I want to tell you the most important thing you can do is check your relationship with God. When you're struggling, when you're, when you're discouraged, allow the Holy Spirit to evaluate your spiritual health. And that is the first step we talked about last week. Allow God to refresh you. Allow God to renew your walk with Him. Where are you with God? You say, well, I'm a Christian, and I remember when I came up to the altar, and I remember when I signed a little card, and I remember when I joined the church, and I remember when I got baptized, and all that's wonderful, and all that's great, but I want to tell you, God wants your relationship with Him to be fresh. God wants your relationship with Him to be up to date. When, when somebody asks you about your relationship with God, do you always talk about something that happened in the past? You always go, oh yeah, when I, was, when I was 10, when I was 15, when I was 20, you know, back then this happened and that happened. And all those things are good and there's not anything wrong with that. But I want to ask you something. Where are you with God right now? Where are you with God this morning? Where are you with God today? You heard Pastor Andy as he was talking to the parents. He was saying to them, you know what? This isn't going to save your child. Being dedicated Dedicating your children doesn't make your child a Christian. It's you as a parent standing up there going, I'm going to do everything I can. So don't look at some past commitment you made to God and always refer to that. Ask yourself, where am I today? Where am I right now? Look what Nehemiah said. So he saw the people. He looked on the situation. The people were discouraged. He said, then as I looked over the situation, I called together the leaders and the people and said to them, and why did he say this to them? Because they were discouraged. He said, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Don't feel negative about what the enemy has said, about what the enemy has threatened. How many of you know the enemy's always saying something? The enemy's always threatening you. He says, don't listen to that, but let's all say to yell it together. We're going to say it together. We're going to get it right the first time. Y'all ready? Everybody say it. Remember the Lord. That's it right there. He says, guys, you want to be victorious over discouragement? You can forget a lot of things, but you can never forget the Lord. Remember the Lord. Don't you know it's possible that we get our eyes off of Jesus, like Peter when he was walking on the water, and we get our eyes on the storm. And when we get our eyes off Jesus and we get our eyes on the storm, then we're going to have problems. Remember the Lord. And what about the Lord? Who is what? Great and glorious. That means he's bigger than your situation. He's bigger than your problem. 
And listen, I've been discouraged. I've been down and out. I've been in the valley. And I've had people preach like this to me and talk like this to me. And I thought, man, I know all that stuff. And you might be sitting out there today going, Pastor, I know it's true. What you're saying is true. But I got to tell you, it just doesn't feel like it's helping very much. Reach out to him. Reach out to him. What did we say last week? What did we say? Get alone. Get alone. Listen, you're not going to grow in your walk with God only by being here on Sunday. You're not going to grow in your walk with God only by being in small group, and that's really important for you to be in a life group. i got to tell you, the best stuff happens, the most intimacy with, between you and God happens when you and God are alone. Alone. That's why we talked about those prayer journals at the beginning of the year because sometimes when we get alone with God and you really believe that you're in the presence of God, I don't know about you guys, but that's pretty intimidating right there. And sometimes I don't really know what to say to God. And sometimes I feel like I might say the wrong thing. Did you know God doesn't wear a chip on his shoulder? How many of y'all know that? God don't wear a chip on his shoulder. God's not sitting over there during your prayer time going, oh, you didn't say that right. I wanted you to say that in the King James Version, and you didn't say it. You didn't begin your prayer with, O Fatherest in heavenest, I prayeth to theeth. Sometimes we think we got to say it just right, and we got to put it all just right. If we don't line the words up just right, God's like, oh, you're, 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 you're pathetic. Listen to me. God hears your words, but you know what God hears beyond your words? Your heart. Your heart. How many of you have prayed and gone, man, I sure am glad that was to God because I don't think I would have understand what, understood what I just said. Hey, listen, he gets it. He gets it. And when you use that prayer journal, that even makes it better. That even makes your prayers more specific, more organized. You make sure you cover more things. So get that prayer journal out and work that. So number one, allow God to refresh you. Number two, Number two, climb out of the rut you are in. Climb out of the rut you're in. You got to climb out. You got to get out of it. You've got into a routine that's not healthy. You've got into a continual lifestyle that's not feeding you, that's not strengthening you, that's not encouraging you, that's not inspiring you. When I wrote down this point, I didn't know exactly what to write for step number two. I, I knew what I wanted to say, and so I just made it a long one, climb out of the rut you're in. I thought about that great, great gospel singer, James Brown. How many of y'all remember what James Brown said? Get on up. Get on up. Get on up. That's all the moves I got right there. That's all I got. Boy, he had them, didn't he? He had the moves. I know there are people sitting out there right now go, did he just quote James Brown? <laughs> yes, because y'all know more about what he said than what Jesus said sometimes. <laughs> did I say that out loud? Did I say that out loud? Everybody say it with James Brown. Come on. Get on up. Get on up out of that rub, baby. You got to get on up. You got to, you got to, you got to take initiative. Last week we said the first step is finding out where you are with God when you're discouraged. Check your health. Check your relationship with him. Let him refresh you. The next step is you've got to admit something has to change. 
When you're discouraged and you're down in the valley all the time, you've got to have a conversation not only with God, you've got to let God have a conversation with you, and you've got to have a conversation with yourself, and you don't want to do that while other people are around, but you've got to have a conversation with yourself and say, hey man, it's time to quit living like this. God never intended me to live like this. God doesn't want me living like this. We read last week Paul's letter to Timothy. He said, God wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to enjoy your life. Are there going to be valleys? Are there going to be tough places? Are there going to be potholes in the road of life? Are there going to be sharp curves and bridges out? And Are there going to be tough times in life? Yes, but not as a lifestyle. God doesn't want that as a lifestyle for you. God wants you to enjoy your life. Because if we're not enjoying our life, then we're not giving off the vibe that is the most powerful witness Christians can give off, and that is joy. Joy. What makes people who are not Christians want to be Christians? You know what? There are a lot of things, but I think the first thing is joy. When they see the joy of one of God's believers, when they see the joy in your heart, when they see the joy in your life, when they see that smile, when they know you're going through the fire, when they know you're going through the valley, when they know you're going through a tough time and you've got joy and you've got a smile on your face, i got to tell you something, guys. That's one of the most powerful witnesses we have as Christians. So no wonder the enemy works so hard to discourage us. Because if he can wipe that joy out of our life, if he can wipe that joy off our face, then we're not powerful in our witness anymore. We're not, we're not making a difference in the lives of people when the joy is gone. So you got to set a new direction for your life you got to get on up out of that rut don't give up change up change something change what you've been doing because what you've been doing obviously isn't working so rearrange your life let's go to nehemiah 413 look what it says nehemiah 413 this is nehemiah talking he's talking about how he was looking at the people of god they were discouraged so he said you know what they're discouraged. I can tell we're not getting very much done. They're ready to quit on me. We got to change some stuff up. We got to change some stuff around. He said, so I changed it and I stationed armed men behind the wall in the lowest places at the open positions where it was least protected. Because one of the things that they were stressed about, one of the things they were discouraged about is they didn't feel protected. They didn't feel secure. They didn't feel that they could give their work to the wall because they were so afraid of the threats of the enemy. So he said, I, I developed some security there. He said, the next thing I did was I stationed the people in families uh, with their swords and spears and bows. And so here's what he's saying. When you dig into that, when you study that, here's what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? We developed a new strategy we developed a new plan. We were, we were doing the right thing, but we were not doing it in the best way. How many of you know you can do the right thing the wrong way? And so we said, I'll tell you what let's do. We're not, we, we've made some progress. It got us this far. How many of you know this? What got you here won't necessarily get you there. How many of you know, you business owners out there, 
you, you guys who have, who have built businesses, how many of you know that what got your business to this level, if you wanted to go to the next level, you had to change some things right here? Can I tell you, can I be transparent? Can I be vulnerable? Can I tell you your church and your pastor and your leadership team is going through that process right now here at the bridge? Because here's what we've realized, and we realized it a long time ago, and we're still working through it. What got us from 70 people to 1,500 people is not what will get us to 3,000 people, and it's not all about numbers, but I will tell you this, there's a book in the Bible called Numbers, so it's pretty important. <clears throat> and um, I've never seen an empty chair give its heart to the Lord, have you? Amen? You say, oh, that bridge out there, it's all about numbers. i tell you what we're all about. We're all about people. We're all about people. We want to see people's lives change. Let me tell you something. We're nothing but a club, man. We're, all we are is a Christian club if lives aren't being changed because of the ministry of this church. And so right now, we're going through a process as a leadership team, and we're saying, what do we have to do differently that's going to, that's going to get us to an HNL? And HNL stands for whole nother level. That's where we want to go. And so he's saying, man, if we're going to get this wall done, if we're going to get this wall finished, then we're going to change some things. The people don't feel secure, so we're going to get some armed guards in there, and we're going to teach them how to, how to um, um, defend themselves. And uh, thank goodness there wasn't any uh, uh, gun laws like some we have now. Did I say that out loud? So I stationed, you know, spears, spears. We got we to gotta get rid of spears. They hurt people. I need to shut up. And I stationed the people in families with swords and spears and boats. So he said, we're going to get people building the wall. And what we'll do is the people who live here and here and here, then we'll let them work on the wall right behind their house. And the ones who live here, here, and here, we'll let them work on the wall right behind their house. And then we'll connect that together. And we'll have them, you know what that's kind of like? That's kind of like a small group, isn't it? So let's get them together in groups so they can be an encouragement to one another, so they can be a blessing to one another. And so he said, uh, we'll, we'll change things up. So what's the application for us? Sometimes when you get discouraged, it doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing. It doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing. It means you're doing it in the least productive way or not the maximum not the way to get maximum production so you got to look at your life and you got to look at the energy you're expending you got to look at the time you're expending you got to look at the money you're expending the resources you're expending and then you got to look over here at your fruit you know all this work we're doing but the fruit is small the production is small so you ask yourself individually, you ask yourself as a family, you ask yourself as a church, what we, we're doing a lot of right things, but we want to see more fruit. Who's with me out there? And so the church belongs to God, your family belongs to God, you belong to God, so guess who's got the answer to that? Excellent students. God has got the answer to that. You're not doing anything sinful necessarily. It's just unproductive. Um, when you get discouraged, it doesn't mean that you give up. 
on the project, even though a lot of times that's the first voice we hear. It doesn't mean you give up on the marriage or give up on the ministry or give up on your dream. It just means to try it a different way. Reorganize it. Hit it from a different angle. Here, one of the things that I do uh, love about you guys is that you aren't afraid to do some things differently as a church. You're not afraid to get outside the box. You're not afraid to be criticized. You, you guys, I love your, your whole mindset. You know, we have gone through a lot of changes here at the bridge. And y'all remember when we were out there on Highway 70, how many, anybody, I think anybody left from that group? God bless you. Thank you for hanging in there with me. And we uh, moved over here, and then that was the worship center, and now God's moved us here. And we've had to go through a lot of changes. How many of y'all remember when we went from pews to chairs? Oh, my Lord. Oh. You know that scripture in Hezekiah? Somebody's thumbing through their Bible right now looking for Hezekiah. Thou shalt sitteth upon a pew when thou praiseth me. Now, there's nothing wrong with pews. Pews are fine. Pews are no better than chairs, and chairs are no better than pews. But here's what we did. We said, what could we do that would allow us to make a room multipurpose rather than just being one purpose? How many of y'all think that's a good question? That's a good question. Now, I had people that were like, I grew up in a church with pews. I mean, they said it like that, pews, ah, you know, pews, ah. and I grew up in a church like that, and I want us to always have pews, and I just believe it's God's will to have pews, and then I told them that we'll keep the pews, but that means we got to build a whole new building that's going to cost like three million dollars, and they said, uh, I'm liking chairs more better, I'm liking chairs more better. You got to ask yourself, man, what's going to bring the most fruit? What's going to bring the most fruit? How are we? You know why we're going to Mount Olive? You know why we're planting a church there October 9th? We're not planting a church there because there aren't already great churches there. And we're not planting a church there because we've got a boatload of extra money we want to spend. As a matter of fact, I'd like to announce to Andrew that we still don't know how we're going to pay for his new church in Mount Olive. But God's going to provide. Amen. Y'all with me? And so why do we do that? Because we want to get outside of the box and reach as many people for Jesus as we can. And so you're asking, where's the fruit? I um, love the fact that we've tried many different programs and ideas and ministries here at the bridge. and We've done it trying to be effective, trying to be fruitful. Some of those things haven't worked. Now, the stuff I've come up with has worked, but the staff members have come up. <laughs> the staff has come up with some stuff that didn't work. But all the stuff, how many of y'all believe that? Okay, <laughs> nobody. <clears throat> but I'm thankful that the bridge is not afraid to try new things, not afraid to fail. Failure is not that big a deal. The fear of failure is much worse than failure itself. As a matter of fact, the difference between people who are successful and people who are failures is not the rate of failure. The fact is, successful people fail just as much or more 
than failures do, people who are failures. A failure is not a person who doesn't always succeed. A failure is a person who quits. A failure is a person who gives up. Successful people view failure as a life lesson. They learn the hard lessons. They pick themselves up and they persevere. If you're in debt, you've got to change something. Now, if you're Washington, D.C., you don't. You just print more money. But, but, I know my staff, we, we'll have, a, we'll have, um, we'll have uh, staff um, uh, affirmations. We always begin our staff meetings on Tuesday with affirmations, and they will look at me and go, Pastor, you got pretty close to being political Sunday, so they'll get on me about that. But um, it is foolish, isn't it? I mean, when you're 19 trillion dollars in debt, you might want to cut something back. I'm just saying. I mean, I'm just saying. I can't live like that. I can't live like that. So if you're in debt, you got to reorganize. you got to change something. you got to make some cuts. If your marriage isn't working, don't give up on it. Do something different. Look at your wife and go, honey, I don't know what you're feeling. I'm feeling staleness here. I don't feel the closeness. What do we need to do? We need to do something. We need to go somewhere. We need to talk to somebody. You know what? Uh, Gary's sitting up here on the front row, and the reason my car runs so good is because he takes care of it. And I take it to him about once every two months, and he just goes through it and takes care of it. But you know what? We are more particular about the maintenance of our vehicles than we are the maintenance of our marriage. Amen. Amen. And you'll have a marriage conference or you'll have a marriage retreat, and you'll say to people, hey, man, you ought to come. They'll go, oh, my marriage is fine. What if you did your truck like that? What if, what if as long as my old Tahoe with 200,000 miles on it, what if it just was running good, but it hadn't had an oil change in about 8,000 miles? And I go, Gary, man, it's running good. And I'm heading out to Florida, and, man, that thing's running good. I'm just going to, what's going to happen? When I get in Florida, I'm going to have some problems probably because you've got to go back and maintain that vehicle. you got to maintain that marriage. Does that make sense? If you're out of shape, you cannot keep doing the same thing you're doing. I know some of y'all are on that Krispy Kreme diet, and you're confused as to why it's not working. Y'all know what I told you last time. If you'll get back on that prune juice, if you'll get back on that organic tree bark you were eating, and just stick with it, People are making tons of money on diet books. I could write a diet book and put it all on one page. If it's good, you can't have none. If it's bad, you can have all you want. There it is. And then they want to give me less food, and then they want me to go outside and move around. Are they crazy? Man, if we're going to lose weight, we've got to do something different, don't we? We've got to do something different. Everybody say, help me. Jesus. Amen. If you're overcommitted, you've got to do something different with your calendar. Because if you don't control your calendar, somebody's going to. You know, I've already preached on this a little bit, but I know how y'all are. I have to say it three times or four times. How many of you know your kids are like that? You have to keep saying it over and over. You take control of your calendar. Better yet, let God take control of it. 
Write in some appointments with your wife. Write in some appointments with your husband. Write in some time with your children. Write in some time just to be off. Write in some time just to relax. And then when people ask you if you can meet them during that time, going, I am sorry, I've got an appointment. It's with you and the recliner, but you've got an appointment. Amen? You can say no. You can say no. So Nehemiah changed things up, reorganized things by groups, and it's always better when we do life with other people, holding us accountable. You weren't meant to go through life by yourself. You weren't meant to do life by yourself. Isolation will make you vulnerable to the enemy. I can't tell you how many times my pastor buddies that I have have bailed me out of discouragement. We lift each other up, encourage each other. We help each other overcome fatigue and failure, and frustration and fear. Have you ever noticed in the Bible how many times it says one another, love one another? Forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, edify one another. I mean, if I could do a sermon series on the one another's of the Bible, because that phrase is all through the Bible, and that's God telling us, don't do life by yourself. You say, well, I, I, I don't know if I want to get in a group. I don't know if I want to get in a group at the church. You know what? All we want, and we'd love for you to be in one of our life groups, and we will help you get in a life group. But all we want is for you to be in a group. Get up a group. Get a group together of believers who can encourage one another and be a blessing to one another. Get on up out of that rut. Amen? Bad English, but good preaching. Reorganize your life. Change your approach. Stop living in isolation and do life with other believers. Let's close with this. In closing. And in closing means... Absolutely nothing, but it gives you, yes, hope. Number three, we are going to declare war on discouragement. We have to look at discouragement and see it as our enemy. And we have to declare war on it. Listen, when discouragement comes, if you don't give attention to it and fight against it, it will get bigger. And it will get stronger and you will sink deeper and it can turn into something far more toxic than just discouragement. How many of you know, how many of you understand that discouragement is just the beginning and could lead to depression, could lead to desperation, could lead to some horrible, horrible things in your life. So you've got to address it. You've got to say, oh, I know what that is. I know what the enemy's doing. I hear that voice of negativity. I hear that voice of doubt. And I know that as a Christian I'm going to battle with that, but I don't have to just take it. I don't have to just take it. I can fight against it. I can war against it. Go to Nehemiah 4.14. Look what Nehemiah said. Nehemiah said, when I saw their what? Their discouragement, their fear. I stood and said to the nobles and officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Confidently remember the Lord who is great and awesome and with courage from him. What? Say it. Fight for your brothers. Fight. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your home. Fight for your church. If you're not as joyful as you used to be, rise up. 
and fight for your joy. Don't let the enemy take it away from you. We are in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. Nehemiah was saying, don't give in without a fight. We're not just going to roll over and play dead. Nehemiah said to them, we're not going to settle for building the wall halfway. Listen to this. And leave it for some other generation to take care of. We're going to do it. God called us to do it. God called this generation to do it. We're not going to leave it for the next generation. We're going to fight this discouragement, and we're going to rebuild this wall, and we're going to obey God, and God's going to give us everything we need to get it done. That's how you talk. That's what you say. Because if you don't talk, if you don't speak the truth of God's word into your spirit, if you don't let the Holy Spirit of God speak his word into you, then I'm telling you that becomes a vacuum. And when that vacuum opens up, the enemy just pours into it. The enemy pours in doubt and fear and anger and frustration and division and hatred and unforgiveness. I'm telling you, there is a vacuum there in your heart and in your mind. And if you don't fill it with the good stuff of God, the enemy will fill it with his poison. He will fill it with his toxins. And some of you think I can just be in neutral on this and I'll be fine. You cannot. You have to be engaged. The moment you decide, as I said earlier, to do something good with your life, all hell seems to break loose. The moment you decide that you're going to live righteously, that you're going to make a difference for the kingdom of God, you get immediate pushback from the darkness. The enemy's always saying to you, I don't know what you hear from the enemy, but I hear you're no good. You might have been effective one time, but you're not effective anymore. You're not worth anything. You can't do it. You may as well give up. Who do you think you are to try something like this? You can't do it. Satan's always the one who mocks. He's always the one who belittles. He's always the one who tries to turn you into a coward. He wants to destroy. You know what? He's not trying to get you to turn your back on God so much as he's just trying to put you in neutral as a Christian. He just try, He wants to neutralize you. You know what? He doesn't mind if you're a Christian. He doesn't mind if you follow Jesus as long as you live in the valley of discouragement because he knows as long as you're there, you'll never make a difference for the kingdom of God. You have to declare war. You have to walk out of this building today and say, I'm not going to stand by and let the enemy have charge of my thoughts and have charge of my perspective. I'm not going to let the enemy decide how I view life. We're at war with negative forces. There's negativity all around us. The world is not exactly a positive place. It's a negative place. You know what some of you need to do? You want to, you want to give you something really practical? You know what some of you need to do? Turn the news off. Honestly. I think what... I'm, my wife's going, did you really preach that? Because that's all you look at is the news. Listen, I don't want to hear her say that to me. If she's watching me online, don't say that to me when I get home. <laughs> but I do watch the news. I think it's important to know what's going on. But ladies and gentlemen, have y'all noticed they just say the same thing over and over and over and over and over. And it has an effect on you. It has an effect on you. It's an effect, a sense of hopelessness. Because they never mention God. They never talk about God. They never talk about Jesus is coming back. They never talk about how that's going to be the peace in the Middle East. They just tell you it's trouble, 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 bad, bad, bad. We'll build a wall. It's bad. Everything's bad. 
It's huge, beautiful. I'm sorry. We gotta get our eyes on God. We gotta get our eyes on God's word. And the people said, Amen, Amen. Look what the Bible says in James 4 and 7. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. Everybody say that. Resist the devil. Now I know some of y'all out there going, Y'all really believe in the devil here at the bridge. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You say, Well, I've never run into him. That's because you and him going in the same direction. I'm going to tell you right now, you go against him, you're going to run into him. Resist the devil. If you will turn, if you will just quit going, when's he going to turn on me? Oh, he's going to turn on you. You turn on him. If you will turn on him, he will what? Flee from you. He will run. I like this quote. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. And if you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Jesus, you'll be at rest. It all depends on what you've got your eyes on. We sung about that in our worship today. If your eyes are always on your problems, your pressures, your conflicts, guess what? You're going to be discouraged. Great people declare war against discouragement. Great people are just ordinary people with an extraordinary amount of determination. Great people don't know how to quit. Great people get fatigued. Great people get frustrated. Great people are fearful. Great people uh, feel like a failure. But they put their faith in Christ and press on. Look what the Bible says in Galatians 6 and 9. Let us not grow weary or become discouraged in doing good. For at the proper time, this is, this is talking about uh, the farm, husbandry, talking about planting the seed and reaping the crop. For at the proper time, we will what? Reap if we do not what? Give in. So important. What's unfinished in your life this morning? What's unfinished? What is that thing you started and you've given up? That thing you started on along the way and you got discouraged? You need to settle it today. This isn't going to come up on the screen, but Jeremiah 8 and 20 says, The harvest is in, the summer is over, and you're not saved. That's a good verse for the end of July as we enter into August. We're headed into the end of the summer. Summer's almost over. Somebody say praise God. I know you people out there like the summer, and I'm praying for you. Come on, where's my chubby people? We hate the summer. <clears throat> but the Bible's telling us there the end is near. Are you saved? Are you saved? Have you given your heart to Jesus? You say, well, there are hypocrites in the church. Really? Really? Thanks for that, because we didn't know. <laughs> We're not trying to get you to look at Farrell Hardison or look at the bridge. I can't save you. The bridge can't save you. We're trying to get you to look at Jesus. Let me tell you what the bridge is. We're a bunch of messed up people. Amen. We're a bunch of broken people. We're a bunch of people who are desperate for Jesus. You say, well, I mean, I just came for the first time today. I've been in church in years, and that's kind of how I feel. Join the club. We're not here saying, look to us. I can't, I can't do anything for you, the bridge. All we can do is love on you. You've got to go to him. 
You've got to bow down before him. You've got to surrender your life to him. The Bible says it's almost over. What's unfinished in your life? What are you waiting for? You need to finish the job. Step across the line. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Maybe your next step is baptism. Maybe you gave your heart to Jesus, but you never, you never received baptism. You need to receive water baptism. Maybe your next step is to get into one of our classes that help you learn more about the church. Maybe your next step is right after church tonight, going to Connections. Maybe your next step is to get in a small group or serve in one of the ministries or become one of our members. And what do we call members? Owners, because members have rights. Owners have responsibility. And we'd love for you to become an owner. Let me close with this Bible story. I believe it's second, um, I believe it's second Samuel, yes, second Samuel 23. There's a man in the Bible called Shammah. And he is one of David's mighty men. Have you ever read in the Bible about the mighty men of David? David had this group around him. Talk about small groups. I don't think these guys were very small, though. They were the first ones who did this. They, they protected David. They were warriors. And they protected David, but they fought alongside David. And they were his mighty men. And one of them was named Shammah. And this story in the Bible isn't long, but there's enough of it to let us know what happened. Back in the Old Testament, there was a, there was a, a, a method that the enemy would do. They would, they would look over the side of the mountain and they would watch the, the Jewish people planting their crops. And they would watch the Jewish people uh, fertilizing the land and planting the seeds. And, and they would look over the mountain each day or each week and they would watch those crops come up. And then when it was time to harvest the crop, the enemy would just pour over the mountainside, run the Jews off, and take their crops. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You put in the hard work, you did it all, and now about the day of the harvest, the enemy pours in and takes the fruit. Well, this happened in 2 Samuel 23. And I don't know, if you just let me operating my imagination here a little bit. Everybody starts running. They look. They see the enemy coming. It's been year after year after year of them doing this, but they just give in to them every time and they run. And the Bible says Shammah just stops and goes, you know what? I might die today, but they're not going to just take my crop. They're going to have to fight today. And the Bible says he turned on them And he wiped them out. He took a stand. How many of you know when you take a stand and the odds are against you, but you are operating in righteousness, God will show up and help you defeat the victory, defeat the enemy and give you the victory. Look, look, here's the deal today. Some of you have laid down your sword, you've laid down your spear, you've laid down your shield, and you've given in to discouragement. I'm asking you to take it back up. I'm asking you to say, you know what? No more. If the enemy wants my joy, he's got to take it. And he, be be he, he better be ready to war. He better be ready to fight. 
and I don't know how I'm going to overcome him. It's kind of like David when he was looking at Goliath. He said, I don't know exactly how I'm going to win this thing, but I've got my faith in God, and the battle isn't mine anyway. The battle belongs to the Lord. And some of you need to do that. You're letting discouragement win, and you don't have to. God wants to give you victory. Let's stand together.